This podcast is a proud member of the Paranormality Podcast Network. And welcome to episode 21 of Stories of Strangeness. Hello. That's Mike. Hello. And I'm Zoe. And this week is the third instalment of Mike's Brain Melting Trilogy. I don't know what he's going to come up with this week, but apparently it is worse than the last two. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yay! Just to say as well, episode 21... Now our podcast can legally drink in America. This podcast has been legally drinking since birth. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. MK Ultra. Ever heard the name? Sounds like an underwear brand. It's not. Okay. During World War II, the US government was advised by a number of social scientists, psychologists and psychiatrists on how to deal with enemy propaganda whilst also maintaining support for the US joining the war via domestic propaganda. This was done under the banner of the Presidential Advisory Committee for National Morale. This committee conducted covert research into psychological warfare, which was being considered much more a part of war than ever before. Much of the research is still classified. During the early 1950s, MK Ultra precursor Project Bluebird aimed to make subjects, quote, sing like a bluebird under interrogation against their will. This involved administering truth drugs. Bluebird evolved into Artichoke, and Project Artichoke evolved eventually into MK Ultra. MK Ultra is the granddaddy of all conspiracy theories. Shadowy government agencies working together with trusted institutions and leading scientists in the fields of psychology, psychiatry, neurology, human behaviour and more to work out how to control people. And they weren't always asking their participants if that was okay, or even letting them know that they were participants at all in some cases. Several of the procedures and activities that the project were involved in were illegal including non-consensual experimentation on US and Canadian citizens involving dangerous drugs, electroshocks, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, verbal and sexual abuse and other practices, most of which are deemed torture by modern standards. The thing is, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is a conspiracy fact. All of this actually happened, and we have proof. On April the 13th, 1953, Alan Dulles, the then director of the CIA, signed off on special project MKUltra. Three days before, he delivered a speech about the battle for the minds of men as a counter to Soviet brainwashing, where he claimed the Soviets could bend their populace to the politically determined will of the nation as espoused by its government. This was based on alleged techniques used by the Soviets, Chinese and North Korea on US POWs during the Korean War. This was also at the zenith of Cold War paranoia and after fearing that the CIA had been infiltrated at the highest levels by moles, plans were put in place to root them out but new techniques for interrogation would be needed. To this end, the CIA poured millions of dollars into developing new systems of interrogation and mind control. MKUltra as a project ran from 1953 to 1973. In 1964, it was reduced in scope and renamed as Project MK Search, which was divided into projects MK Often and Chitwit. 
MK often dealt with toxicological transmissivity, and Chickwit's purview included acquiring information on new drug developments in Europe and Asia, and getting samples. In 1967, the project was further curtailed, and it officially ended in 1973. Run by the Office of Technical Service under the CIA's clandestine Science and Technology Division, the CIA secretly funded research using taxpayers' money through various research funds and foundations. This included $375,000 through the Geschichte Research Fund, which was a substantial amount of money at the time. Coordinating the research required various other front groups, agencies, private businesses, pharmaceutical companies and institutions. This was not done in super-secret underground labs somewhere. These experiments were carried out in colleges, hospitals, clinics and even prisons. Research was funded and carried out at over 80 institutions in total. The ultimate goal of the project was to learn how to control human behaviour via any means possible, including psychological and pharmacological means, both at an individual level and en masse. To this end, testing of mind control techniques including the use of drugs like LSD, tranquilizers, or amphetamines happened on often non-consenting and sometimes unaware men, women, and even children. Private citizens, as well as soldiers, students, drug addicts, terminal cancer patients, sexual psychopaths and other prisoners were also included. The public found out about the project which had in excess of 140 sub-projects in 1975, when the Rockefeller Commission report on unlawful CIA activities was released, leading to the Church Committee Congressional Investigations hearings. This was somewhat ironic as the project had utilised Rockefeller Foundation funding as part of its financing of the project. Sidney Gottlieb, then Chief of Technical Services Staff Chemical Division, was the person who signed off on each sub-project. He was later given complete immunity for giving testimony before Congress. He told them that the CIA were interested in retrograde amnesia, the ability to remove a specific memory or period of time from someone's recall. Techniques to achieve this had included hypnosis and narco-hypnosis, as well as sleep and sensory deprivation. It was revealed that the CIA had also looked into poisons, unusual top-secret weapons such as a heart attack gun, and even prostitution. Operation Midnight Climax, that was genuinely its title, was a sub-project of MKUltra. Established in 1954 by Sidney Gottlieb, Operation Midnight Climax was to study the effects of LSD on unconsenting individuals. Prostitutes were paid by the CIA and instructed to lure their clients to predetermined CIA safe houses. The Johns were then plied with various substances, including LSD, and monitored through one-way glass. Once the acid kicked in, the victims were fed subliminal messages to go and kill or harm various people, and their reactions were recorded. The areas of research involving the use of mind-altering drugs in field operations, surveillance technology and sexual blackmail as a weapon were all significantly enhanced by this operation. This was even expanded, and CIA operatives began dosing people without their knowledge in restaurants, in bars and even on beaches. Getting dosed with LSD even became an occupational hazard for CIA operatives. With the amount of paranoia about moles, sometimes people were dosed just to see what they would say. Adverse reactions happened often, including one operative who received a dose in his morning coffee, which made him psychotic. He ran across Washington seeing monsters in every car he passed. Another instance saw army chemist Frank Olson covertly dosed by his supervisor. Frank had never taken LSD before, and lapsed into a deep depression induced by the drug. He plunged to his death from the window of a 13th-story New York hotel room. The experiments carried on regardless. Other experiments included using morphine, tamazepam, mescaline, psilocybin, scopolamine, alcohol, sodium pentothal, cocaine, DMT, 
AMT, and heroin. Some heroin users were coerced into taking LSD on the promise of more heroin. One experiment involved intravenous administration of a barbiturate into one arm of the subject, and when the dose kicked in and the subject began to fall asleep, amphetamines were injected into the other arm to see what would happen. The subjects began to babble incoherently, and it was sometimes possible to ask questions and receive coherent answers. In addition to other methods of mind control, the CIA also studied hypnosis. Goals included creating hypnotically induced anxieties, ways to increase learning and recall of complex written materials, and studying the relationship between personality and susceptibility to hypnosis. Okay, where's the evidence? In 1972, President Nixon fired CIA Director Richard Helms and ordered all MKUltra documents be destroyed, which Helms confirmed happened in 1973, quote, to avoid embarrassment. The program aimed at controlling an individual to the point where he will do our bidding against his will and even against such fundamental laws of nature such as self-preservation. Seven boxes of financial records of cover files turned up due to a clerical error. They had been incorrectly stored in a financial records building. And it's these cover files that tell us what a lot of the sub-projects were about. Now because they are just cover files, they don't contain huge amounts of detail, but from what we can glean, it's worse than you can imagine. In 1977, another cache of 20,000 documents came to light due to a Freedom of Information Act request, and these files were used in the proceedings of the Church Committee hearings. So, here's a handful of picked sub-projects and what they were about. Subproject 23 tested the effects of certain drugs on the nervous systems of terminal cancer patients. Subproject 40 looked into the feasibility of using aerosols to deliver various psychochemicals of interest to the CIA to non-psychotic individuals. Subproject 54 was the Navy's, quote, perfect concussion program, which aimed to use subaural frequencies to blast people to erase their memory. This was never carried out. Subproject 87 talked about the purification of extremely high potency allergens with, quote, greater potentiality. Subproject 115 studied the mentally disturbed in their environment to gain further insight into influencing human behavior. Subproject 128 looked into rapid hypnotic induction. Subproject 138 involved body antennas personal tagging, radiant energy measurement, and remote polygraphs. Subproject 139, called Bird Disease Studies, was interested in bird migration patterns for chemical and biological warfare. Further documents followed, including some information regarding the project becoming declassified in 2011, and a letter to an unidentified doctor in December 2018 the discussed work involving making a group of six dogs run, turn and stop via remote control linked to brain implants. The investigations by the church committee relied on sworn testimony of direct participants and the surviving documents. According to author Stephen Kinzer, the project was, quote, a continuation of the work begun in World War II era Japanese facilities and Nazi concentration camps on subduing and controlling human minds. Kinzer compared MKUltra's use of mescaline on unwitting subjects to a practice begun by Nazi doctors in Dachau, and even proposed evidence of a continuation of the Nazi agenda, citing the CIA's recruitment of Nazi torturers and vivisectionists, as well as Nazis who provided instructions to CIA officers on lethal uses of sarin gas at Fort Detrick, Maryland. The CIA even ran secret detention camps in areas under US control, such as Japan, Germany and the Philippines, to avoid prosecution, proving that they knew what they were doing was wrong, regardless of the justification. The CIA captured suspected enemy agents and other people it deemed expendable to use for their experiments. Prisoners were interrogated while under the influence of psychoactive drugs, 
electroshocked, subjected to extremes of temperature, and sensory isolation among other techniques to better understand how to control or destroy human minds. And I'm just going to bring up a few of the doctors who actually participated in some of these experiments, ran some of the, the sub-projects and things like that, many of whom escaped without any kind of judicial... Persecution? Yeah, basically got away scot-free and went on treating people as if nothing had happened. Dr Ewan Cameron. Dr Ewan Cameron was a pioneer in brainwashing experiments. He wanted to be able to erase, rewrite and program the mind and the person with all new thoughts and behaviours. And as part of MKUltra, he used CIA and Rockefeller Foundation funding to research it. His experiments included drugs, excessive electroshock treatments and forcing victims to listen to looped messages up to a quarter of a million times, sometimes in their sleep. He wanted to be able to erase a person's personality and build it back up to his specifications. He used sensory deprivation, electroshock, deep sleep therapy and tape loops to break down personalities and erase memories, leaving a blank slate for him to fill. Cameron published a study in the American Journal of Psychiatry in 1956 about his technique which he termed psychic driving, saying it was, quote, analogous to the breakdown of the individual under continuous interrogation. Psychic driving involved playing loop tape messages on repeat for hours at a time, and sometimes muscular paralytic drugs such as Curare were used to subdue patients during exposure to the messages, sometimes for weeks at a time. One patient, or should I say victim, was kept in a drug-induced coma for three months. He had a constant source of subjects from patients at the institute who came in for things like anxiety disorders or postpartum depression. Many suffered long-term or permanent effects from his treatments, including incontinence, amnesia, and inability to talk, forgetting their parents, or incorrectly assuming that their interrogators were their parents. Cameron hoped to win a Nobel Prize for automating psychiatry. He became president of the American, Canadian and World Psychiatry Groups, along with others. He helped establish the new Allen Memorial Institute with the help of $150,000 from the Rockefeller Foundation. It used Ravenscrag Castle in Montreal as its base. Cameron was so esteemed in the medical community, he was asked to assess Rudolf Hess when Hess claimed amnesia during the Nuremberg trials as part of the medical panel. Alan Dulles, leader of the CIA, and Ewan Cameron were acquaintances from their time at OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, a World War II wartime agency of the US and precursor to the Department of State's Bureau of Intelligence and then the independent CIA. Dr. Cameron was vilified by the press when the details of MKUltra came out, almost like he'd been made some kind of scapegoat. He died mysteriously while hiking in the Adirondacks in 1967. Newspapers of the time ran conflicting reports surrounding the details of Cameron's death. One stated it was a heart attack, while another gave mountaineering accident as the cause. In her book The Shock Doctrine, author Naomi Klein argues that Cameron's research was not about mind control, but rather he was developing scientific ways to extract information from resistant subjects, which today we generally call torture. Dr. Wilder Penfield. In 1934, McGill University received over one and a quarter million dollars from the Rockefeller Foundation to build the Neurological Institute, which was helmed by Dr. Wilder Penfield. Penfield had mapped out much of the brain's cerebral cortex by placing electrodes on the brains of his epileptic patients at McGill University and stimulating them with small amounts of current, 60 cycles, 2 millisecond pulses at 2.27 volts. This was done under local anaesthetic with the patient conscious. He could stimulate different parts of the brain or change the amount of current and note the reaction such as movement of the tongue or recollections from the patient's past which they would suddenly recount for him. Sometimes the memories had been forgotten by the person. He justified this experimentation by saying it was only done as a last resort for patients with extreme epilepsy and noted 
that the brain does not feel pain when stimulated. According to Penfield, his research stumbled accidentally on the fact that the nerve cells of the human brain contain a complete record of the stream of consciousness. In other words, every memory that that person has ever formed, whether they could consciously remember it or not. Penfield identified their association with areas of the brain for motor functions, for speech, for memory and other complex brain functions, including ways to stimulate auditory and visual hallucinations and where dreams were stored. One patient even reported that she smelled burnt toast, recalled from a memory formed during a particularly bad seizure in her youth. Penfield destroyed that area of her brain and the patient was, quote, cured. For this, Penfield was named the greatest living Canadian, despite having been American by birth. Other patients didn't fare so well. One man referred to as DT became speechless after the removal of a large portion of the dominant side of his brain. He died from pneumonia a week later. He was unable to speak and became withdrawn in the days before. Penfield's work resulted in what he called the homunculus, a map of the outer cortex. What would this information be worth to government agencies who wanted to control people for various reasons, from population control to creating Manchurian candidates? Dr. Donald Hebb. Dr. Donald Olding Hebb worked with Penfield at McGill in 1937. Hebb was interested in learning, in the sense of how learning is achieved in terms of neurological actions in the brain, but also in the sense of conditioned behaviour. Using Penfield's homunculus as a map to behaviour inside the functions of the brain, he published his seminal work The Organisation of Behaviour in 1949 under a Rockefeller scholarship. In it, Hebb stated how bonding, imprinting and early experiences had a huge influence in the development of personality and could be used to predict future behaviour. Up until this point, Hebb had worked on primates like chimps but suspected the same was true for humans. Hebb was made head of McGill's psychology department. The blueprint for altering behaviour from the work was seized upon by the military and clandestine agencies. In June 1951, a clandestine meeting was held in the Ritz-Carlton in Montreal with Hebb, who was now secretly the head of behaviour research for Canada's Defence Research Board, and two American attendees, listed simply as CIA in meeting notes, to coordinate mind control research. Hebb provided an approach to the military application of confessions, interrogations and the use of psychological coercion to change a person's beliefs and values, based around sensory deprivation which he saw as the simplest path to intervention in an individual's mind. He showed how sensory deprivation could lead a subject into a situation where ideas might be implanted or a person's mind could be remoulded or shattered as required. With funding from the Canadian government, CIA front groups, the Rockefeller Foundation and others, he proceeded with experiments on graduate volunteer students from McGill. These experiments involved sensory deprivation, isolation, threats both overt and subtle, and social pressure. The students were isolated, given light diffusing goggles to wear, their arms were placed in cardboard tubes up to the fingertips, and the only noise was white noise hum from an air conditioning unit. The students were kept like this 24 hours a day, including at meal times which were, they were fed in their beds by spoons. It didn't take long for breakdowns of personality to occur. Some began to hallucinate after 48 hours, hearing and seeing things. Some felt their heads had become separated from their bodies, while others reported feeling like they had two bodies. One man saw squirrels marching with purpose with sacks over their backs, and another told of how he was attacked by pellets, fired from a miniature rocket ship. Few of the students lasted more than two or three days, under the extreme sensory deprivation. Hebb wrote of one man that the subject's very identity had begun to disintegrate. At least four students openly referred to their experience as torture. Instead of just boredom as anticipated, the minds of the subjects had become untethered from reality itself. Dr. Hebb had discovered that a changing sensory environment was essential to normal human behavior, and without it, a way to break down any human mind akin to a psychotic break 
cheaply, simply and within a matter of days had been discovered. Coming out of the sensory deprivation, the subjects were highly suggestible, their minds eager for stimulation and accepting of any it found. In this way, he convinced many of the students to believe wholeheartedly in ghosts and poltergeists, along with other, quote, outlandish stories. Maybe not for us. Weeks later, many of them retained their fear of the paranormal, sometimes in direct contradiction of their previously held beliefs. The suggestibility had long-lasting effects. The implications for brainwashing, indoctrination and re-education were huge. Hebb refused to push the experiments further and his funding was cut a year later. And lastly, Dr Maitland Baldwin. Dr Baldwin was trained by doctors Penfield and Hebb and studied removal of the brain at McGill. He was also known for experiments that dosed monkeys and apes with LSD after surgically removing portions of their brains and transplanted the head of one monkey onto the body of another. He continued Hebb's sensory deprivation experiments, pushing them further and noting that anything over two days under those conditions could cause irreparable psychological damage. This was something he discovered after putting a soldier into a specially designed box for 40 hours and watching him break down into uncontrollable sobbing before kicking his way out. Baldwin was reported as being open to conducting terminal type experiments if the CIA could provide him with expendable subjects. But it's alleged that the CIA declared the experiments immoral. Baldwin went ahead with the experiments, albeit continuing with simian subjects, the results of which are still classified today. The Jersey Devil, Wendigo, The Gates of Hell. Bloody Mary, The Vanishing Hitchhiker, The Licking Hand. The Hook-Handed Killer, The Lady in White. The Killer in the Backseat, Pop Rocks and Diet Soda. We've all heard the stories around the campfire or water cooler. We've all shared the legends with hushed whispers or nervous laughter. But do we really know the truth? Do we really know what goes bump in the night? Do we want to? I'm Micah. And I'm Amanda. And together, every Friday night, we bring you a brand new, no-holds-barred glimpse at an urban legend from right in your backyard. The Great American Urban Legend Podcast is raw and it is real. It is well-written, expertly produced, and as informative as it is irreverent. If you're looking for a podcast that is authentic, frightful, and funny, you found it. Whether you want to hear about ancient pagan religions, the Norse pantheon, or Greek mythology, we've got you covered. If you are at all curious or interested in the macabre, superstitions, cryptid, or crime, you've come to the right place. Join us every Friday night at 9 p.m. for another harrowing and hilarious dive into the infinite abyss at the Great American Urban Legend. What do you think? Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, do you know what? Let's go back to the other week where we were dealing with crazy demon, alien, monster things because... Yeah, this, and time travel. Yeah. that made I, more sense. That made more sense. No, that was... I, I was more willing to accept that than... That's, that's just horrendous. This is actually... Just horrible. Yep. It's absolutely horrible. I started taking notes and then I just stopped and just put my head in my hands and just thought, I don't yeah. even know what I thought. It was like, like you're going to carry on? You're going gonna to tell me something else that's even more awful? I did and tell you it was a bit of a head melter. It, it's not. It, this is the thing. It's not a head melter because I completely believe that humans are completely able to be that horrible and that's really yeah. awful. I and mean, in, in the name of research. In my notes, before you'd mentioned it, I'd put Manchurian Candidate, and I'd also noted down the first ever episode of the Twilight Zone. All right, the original one. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if you've seen it. Maybe if I refresh your memory, and Please for those do. who haven't, it starts out, and a guy wakes up, and he's in a village, or he's in a town centre. Right, and it's empty. Yeah, and he's walking around, and to start off with, it's it's fine. He's like, oh, this is a bit weird. 
and he goes round and he goes into some of the shops and he thinks he sees someone, but it's not. It's a mannequin. Right. And okay. he he sees he keeps thinking he sees things and then but it turns out that it's it's not and he is completely alone. Right. And over the course of because I think it was only like twenty minutes long, over the course of this time he starts to go a bit mad you yeah. know start to start off with it's oh it's like haha funny mad oh this is a bit weird and a bit novel and then it's like but who am i laughing with because generally a laughing laughing is a response that you do as a communal thing and when you do it on your own it's more of a ah, because you're worried and you don't yeah. know how to deal with the situation and he can't deal with the situation and at the very end they take him out of the sensory deprivation box Right, and okay. I think it was that he was supposed to be an astronaut and they were testing him to see, see how, how long he go. could be on his own with no other stimulus right. to send him into space or something like that. And they were like, oh, he only managed this amount of time. And I think it might have been like 40 hours. Yeah. And I was wondering, when did the first episode of The Twilight Zone come out and how was that Ooh. possibly linked with the details that you've just given? Because mm. I was like, that seems like a bit of a... Coincidence if it was completely random. There's the Manchurian Candidate as well, the film. Manchurian Candidate is very much, yeah. But that's quite old. Well, I say quite old. It's a 60s thing, isn't it? 70s, I think. I'm not sure. I'll have to look it up. First episode of The Twilight Zone, 1st of July, 1960. So if this was happening in the 50s, could that have been a direct... I mean, I suppose, actually, if they were thinking of sending people into space, that could have been one of the things that they would want to do with them. But it does seem quite strange that it's all happening around the same time. The Manchurian Candidate was 1962. So So they both kind of fit. Actually, a little bit early, because if the stuff about MKUltra didn't come out until 77, and that film was out in 1962. That's, yeah. That's about halfway through the programme, because it ran from 53 to 73. Yeah. Allegedly. Yes. Oh, yes, it obviously finished. They just stopped, didn't yeah. they? Oh, yeah, they just put pens down. Of course they like, did. They well went, done, lads. Let's spent, go get a beer. Uh, so I thought the, the Rockefeller company, whatever yeah. they were, they got it sorted. We'll give you money to do these experiments, and then we're going to get paid to investigate whether you did these experiments. Yeah, and um, how naughty we think you are and for how doing them. Are you, you are pretty naughty for doing it, but <laughs> hey, do you want some more money so you can carry on? Talk I'm about not sure. playing both sides so Honestly, you come out on top. Honestly, it's just ridiculous. Okay, so my knowledge of this kind of thing isn't great, but yeah. wasn't there a thing where they they kind of dug out all of the the Nazi doctors that escaped from Germany after the war? That was Operation Paperclip, yeah. Yeah, they dug them out and were like trying to persecute them for this. Oh, that was the Nuremberg trials. Sorry, yeah. I thought you meant when America actually got loads of Nazi rocket scientists. And I'm sure that's the only type of scientist they took. They oh, yeah, only take, the rocket know, scientists. Apart this, from the guys that showed them how to use sarin gas. Yeah, and, yeah, this is what I'm and saying. And the torturers so, and the vivisectionists, apparently. But yeah. apart from those, they only the, took the The ones Nazis. they couldn't find a use for, they went, oh, actually, we can't, we've got to, we've got to show that we're going to, like, tell somebody off. So we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll find you and dig you out and go, oh, look, we found these guys. They're really naughty. We're going to you know, charge them with something. But the yeah. ones that are useful, what they do is they just give them a job, highly paid jobs, and let them carry on doing their horrid, horrid butchery, yeah. but under the guise of American research and going forward, not Nazis anymore. Maybe they could change their name as well. I'm sure they probably yeah. did from a German surname to a more American surname yeah, so that people that wouldn't... Yeah, a lot. Yeah, like a lot. like yeah. Drumpf and Trump, for example. Oh, nice. Trump but the thing is, Trumpf. though... I can un- I can understand it if you are just a normal German person back in the day. It would have been really difficult because you would have been singled out. It can't have been easy at all. And no. there would have been that need or want to change a surname and go to a new place so that people didn't realise. Yeah. But in this case, it's like, oh, okay, you're, you're Nazis and we've just beaten the Nazis. But do you know what? Oh, what is, is Science is higher than the law. So, yes, we can... All agree that the Nazis did horrible, horrible, horrible things, but then to bring a large portion of those under the science umbrella back to America and go, oh, yes, but for science, it's not exactly like it bettered mankind a huge amount (sighs) to know. They'll argue it did. You know, they'll argue that it it kept West, you know, America's and and Western Europe safe from the powers of the Soviets. 
because they were able to root out Soviet agents more efficiently than before, and it was all done for the greater good, which we know how that goes. So, yeah, this is the thing. You are dealing with zealots. These people aren't rational anymore. They only know they are fighting for their cause and they will fight till they die and anything is is in It is complete brainwashing, but almost from the highest degree because it's almost Mm. like the doctors have been brainwashed into thinking that whatever they do is for the betterment and the protection of their country. Well, I wonder how many of the doctors were just like, I've always wanted to mess around with people's brains and see how the, what makes them tick and so now I can do it with impunity. It's almost like they are serial killers or yeah. just masochists. Basically so, yeah, psychopaths they have no with a qualification for the people that they're testing on. They don't see them as human beings. They are test Exactly. Subjects. If that was that's psychopathic behaviour. Exactly. So if say a normal person did this, so you get a person who isn't wearing a white coat and writing down the results do this and they would be deemed a monster. Yeah. A person in a white coat can do the same thing and take a few notes and they can start thinking about giving them some kind of Nobel Prize. Yeah. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, it's it's mind-boggling to think about, but yeah, most of the people involved in this got off with impunity. Like the guy literally who signed off on all these sub-projects said, yeah, yeah all right, then I'll, I'll turn evidence. So I'll tell you what I know and I- told... I don't know how much of what he knew, but a little at least. I'm going to go through my notes roughly. But like I said, I did stop writing notes because I just got to the point where I was just like, oh my goodness. I I put death by midnight climax, although they didn't actually die. Well, that no, was... we don't think so. So yeah, I'm just going to quickly look at my notes because like I said, I started writing and then stopped because I just kind of lost the will to live. Yeah. So yes, I had death by midnight climax, but obviously it wasn't death. <laughs> that was... Interesting and bizarre. I can't decide whether it was because they were like, well, you know, I fancy a bit. So if we say that we're going to get these prostitutes to dose people up, we can pretend to be those people. Does that mean they can like legally like go, hey, do you want a quickie in the back room? Um, But then it just goes on with dosed with LSD. Anyone could be dosed with LSD. It just seems like anybody, everyone. It was almost like an office joke. (laughs) Should we see whose coffee we can slip it into? Almost like Russian roulette. Yeah, almost exactly that, Yeah, but terrifying because it wasn't a joke. It was to try and root you out if you were a mole or just to see what happened for science. The guy who, who threw himself out of the window. Yeah. So... Were they, it's like, well, you've dosed him. Are you not going to actually, like, keep an eye on him? No, you're just going to let him go out into the world. It's not like these people are getting counselling. No, it's horrible. Absolutely shocking. And, yeah, the attack dogs. The dogs where they're like, oh, yeah, we can send them off and then we've put something in their brain and press a button and they stop and they turn around and... Literally remote control dogs, And I'm like, hmm, was it just dogs, though? Exactly. They say dogs but does dogs stand for i can't think of anything but dirty old guys in socks i don't know you know <laughs> dirty old guys suck oh dear that, that's so, dirty, worse. dirty old guys smell that's fine yeah. okay so yeah was that was it just dogs oh and also i put clockwork orange surprised. yeah because i was just like that, that's yeah. a bit of ultra violence right there like with yeah. the, where the eyes are kept open. And Absolutely, like, yeah. Oh the my goodness! And things, yeah. Basically, the same idea. We've mentioned previously that we have a daughter. Yeah. She's nine, and she has many things that she really, really likes. And at the moment, she's obsessed with the Baby Yoda little videos and memes on YouTube, and she likes to watch them over and over again. And honestly. It has sent me kind of insane to the point where I have banned them now. Yeah. If she watches them, she's allowed to watch them once and they are turned off. And that is not allowed to happen more than once a day. Yeah. And actually, two consecutive days is, is too much for me now because she watched them so much for so long. Yeah. So I can't help but think if someone like made me watch those on a loop for even an hour, it, it does physically make me angry and i'm sure that you have noticed that i do get a little irate <laughs> yeah. after a while and and we do have actually like a banned list of things that we are no longer allowed to either watch a lot of or at all yeah, <laughs> so yeah, there's been a few. I, 
I am. Um, I I can not not sympathise because that's the wrong word because it was it's nowhere near on the scale of this. But <laughs> I can. Yeah. Only you, you have the kind of the the, the tip of the pin. Exactly, and it's idea. like that is too much for me. So these people, honestly, it it would have been torture. Yeah. So like. Well, imagine imagine that. Except you're completely unable to move. Yeah. I don't even know what I would do. I think I'd just end up screaming, yeah, screaming yeah. Well, and screaming your, your and screaming, brain would fall just apart. to try and like a wet cake, like wet cake. <laughs> it would, because yeah. sometimes I feel that happening when the <laughs> baby Yoda comes back onto the screen, and I can hear the song in my head right now. Yeah, I, know. I want to, and that's and that's another thing. Like when something gets stuck in there, and yeah. And you want to just dig it out. Well, that's it. It's, it's like, imagine having the worst earworm ever, except it's somebody telling you to go and do something. Over and over yeah. and over again. Like, up to a quarter of a million times, sometimes. It's just oh, yeah. mind-boggling, the, literally. It? A coma for three months. Medically induced coma, yeah. And just made to listen. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Just to see if they'd snap. Literally, and that's half what half of these experiments were, were to just do. To just to see how just to see how you how but, easily you could break somebody so that then you could control them. But this is the thing, and being a scientist, you can't just do that experiment on one person because we all know that everybody has different tolerances for all sorts of things. Yeah. So you know that it wouldn't have just been one person; there would have been several, and that just makes me angry. But yeah, apparently, one of the most cruel things you can do to a person is deprive them of all sensory stimulation yeah. for about two to three days. Well, if you think about it, when you're ill and you're in bed and you haven't got the energy to get out of bed, you just get really, really bored. Yeah. But generally when you're in bed, you've you, I mean, you've got the, the sense of touch, so you can feel all your bed sheets and stuff around you. You've generally got a temperature or this. There's hot and cold going on. Yeah. You you get your you'll get some something in so you can watch TV or programs or listen to the radio, listen to music, you might read a book, all those kind of things, and yet you are still bored because you are in the same room. Yeah. But to have like all, just everything taken away. Yeah. And then being fed, like spoon fed, laying down as well. Yeah. Gross. Bed, their arms are in uh, cardboard tubes and the cardboard tubes are kind of held by a thread mm-hmm. to like the surround of the bed or whatever. And they have light diffusing goggles, so everything's just a shade of grey. Yeah, can't see anything, can't really hear anything because it's just the hum of the um, like white noise, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah. Uh, because you just start to lose your grip on reality. So some people I know they do like flotation tanks as a form of like relaxation and meditation. Yeah, I look at those things and think, hell, that's a torture chamber. (laughs) Yeah. I couldn't. I know you do. <laughs> I, I mean, for one, I'm claustrophobic. Yeah, that it wouldn't work for you at it all. Would not work. My brain. I, I mean, I, I'm one of those people. I can't meditate. Yeah. I can't meditate at all because my brain is too noisy. Does not work for me. It makes me angry. It makes me feel sick. <laughs> all kinds of things, and I almost fall over. I have tried to. <laughs> Even to the point where, like, it wasn't even meditation. It was well, actually, kind of was. We did an evening at a place that I worked, where one of the women who worked there, she was like a medium, and she'd bought tarot cards with us. She did tarot card readings, and we did a kind of a session round the edge of the table. I don't know if I've mentioned it before. And she said, "Yeah, we had to close our eyes and just relax and clear our minds." I just went crazy in my head and felt like I was going to fall off the chair. Yeah. And she said to me afterwards, your eyes were going crazy, Zoe. She she put it down to someone being there, like I'd made contact. Right. In my head, I couldn't. But that's just the way I am. I can't help it. I've always oh, been like Lord. that. So I, I, I've never like skateboarding, roller skating, ice skating, yeah. anything where my feet are not flat on the floor is a big fat no. Even when my feet are flat on the floor, you never know. <laughs> you walked into me just while we've been walking along holding hands. That's why I hold hands so that I know where you are. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I know we're kind of like laughing about it now, but but that, that's, it's like, it's just absolutely horrendous. Yeah. 
and it kind of makes me feel like you think, oh, well, that was that was a while ago because yeah. it was the 50s, you know, we're, we're looking at. Well, it, it ended the year before I was born, according to the records. According so to the records. It's a while ago, but it's, you know, within living memory for some people. Oh, yeah. I mean, like parents, like my dad was born in 49. So, yeah. you know, well within his time. Yeah. And it was the sort of time where he would have been. I had my eyes closed and because I was sitting on a stool, I had no and my eyes closed, sitting on a stool, you know my balance is terrible. Yeah. I couldn't tell which way was up. I was desperately <laughs> trying like to clear my mind, but also I was really afraid I was just gonna fall over backwards because I just can't do it. You have to let it all go, Neo. Fear. <laughs> Doubt. <laughs> no, it was more like slide. <laughs> yeah. And if you get those two film references, you're, you're old. <laughs> yeah. It was, like, yeah. Just yeah. being deprived of the sensory sense of sitting in a chair with arms and being able to see which way was up. I mean, I'm one of those people if I close my eyes in the shower. Oh dear. That, that can be a bad time for I have, you, to, I have yeah. to put a hand on the wall just to make sure I know where it is. Honestly, <laughs> but that's just the way I am. I can't help it. I've always oh, been like So I, I, I've never like skateboarding, roller skating, ice skating, yeah. anything where my feet are not flat on the floor is a big fat no. Yeah. Um, even when my feet are flat on the floor, you never know. <laughs> yeah. Um. You walked into me just while we've been walking along holding hands. That's why I hold hands so that I know where you are. (laughs) (laughs) It's, I know we're kind of like laughing about it now, but that's, it's like, it's just absolutely horrendous. Yeah. And it kind of makes me feel like you think, oh, well, that was, that was a while ago. Yeah. Because it was the 50s, you know, we're we're looking at. Wow. Yeah. It, It ended the year before I was born. According to the records. According so. to the records. It's a while ago, but it's, you know, within living memory for some people. Oh, yeah. I mean, like parents, like my dad was born in 49. So, yeah. you know, well within his time. Yeah. And it was the sort of time where he would have been you know, young, but. Yeah. Yeah. To say that, oh, yeah, that's all stopped. Has it? Yeah. But when you think, actually, when you were saying about your dad. He'll have been about three or four when it started. Yeah. But by the time he finished, he was 24. 23, 24. Yeah. So that's a huge... When you think about that, like the span of a person's life like that, compared to how long the project well, went on, it's it's incredible. You've my mum think- was born in 54. Sorry, mum, I'm giving away your age. So, and She you know, was, yeah, born a year after it started. Yeah. So, you know, she's... can't remember how old... <laughs> Look, it's been a long year. It's been a yeah. long day. It's been a long... I don't even know it's been, what... It's been a long year. Lemon, it's February. <laughs> it is! <laughs> and if you get that reference, we can definitely be friends. But yeah, it's... Just just shows if you've got money. Yes, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's a different, really different matter, world, it? isn't it, if you're rich? It really is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a different ball game, basically, if you're rich. And we, sadly, are, are not. not. <laughs> but that no. means we're... Good, honest folk. Oh, does it? Dumb as a bag of rocks. I can't decide which. What does? What did my sticker say? Honk if you're horny. Wrong sticker. My other car's a pair of Crocs. I don't know. <laughs> a pair? You can afford a pair. <laughs> I've just got to jam both feet into one Croc and make best of it. <laughs> I just stuck my feet in a muddy puddle and then laced up my toes. <laughs> I stood in a muddy puddle and decided to live there. <laughs> talking about anymore. I don't know. I was expecting this to have real aliens, real monsters, proper time travel with proof of like real like all episodes one and two, apparently. Well yes it was, but I thought you were gonna go bigger, better, faster, more with this. But what you actually went is proper but left field. It was very much I'm gonna hit you with the realism stick now. Yeah. Yeah you've had two that claim to be real but we don't know. We, and, we have no real idea. And this then one, you've got this one. You thought, documentation. you thought monsters and aliens were scary, but humans are humans by far are, yeah. the scariest thing on the Most planet and beyond. Thing in the galaxy. 
Yeah. It's, Did um, you know that the average human has over 30 outcroppings of bone in their skull? Huh? Teeth. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Did you know that human bites can often be fatal even to other humans because of infections they pass on from the, the bacteria in their mouths? We are dirty. Some more than others, yeah. I, I Every time I see those on Imager or something like that, I favourite them because they always make me laugh. It's basically looking at humans from an alien point of view. Yeah. Like the old pursuit predation thing that we used to do that, that is really absolutely terrifying and the basis of the film It Follows. Basically what we used to do is follow animals until they died of exhaustion and then eat them. Yeah. it's Yeah, but if the animals shagged another animal, we didn't go, oh, we'll follow them instead. No. Not as far as I'm aware, darling, no. Well, no, but that was the premise for It Follows, though, wasn't it? Oh, I it? suppose, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what you were thinking what what's she on she's gone crazy no there was like you know reasoning but yeah that's but that's a, a technique used by animals today you know there are still animals that do <clears throat> not that many. not many because not many have the long-term stamina that humans have there is literally no other animal on the planet that can run as long as we can and that's one of the reasons we became apex predators because mm. we can outrun anything over long distance short distance nah. hundreds of animals can beat us speed so it's stamina rather hundreds than, of animals than, can beat us than, yeah but we can keep coming and keep coming and all of a and sudden we work in a pack. the animal turns around oh bloody hell they're back again yeah. and animals sprint away every time and then tire themselves out and tire themselves out yeah. and literally die of exhaustion that's because we just kept coming and coming and coming we're like terminators basically i haven't got a comeback for that but that is actually horrible <laughs> I'll need your keys, your boots, and your motorcycle. That, that wasn't half bad for that me. That was actually pretty that good. Was pretty decent. I usually do an awful Arnie impersonation. Yeah, it maybe could have been a little bit lower, but yeah, uh, yeah. I'll the move. only other one I could do was when at the end of, when he kills Sharon Stone in Total Recall. Consider that a divorce. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I liked that too. That was um, the only other one I could do previously, but I've been working on it. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. Any other little, little sort of little impressions <laughs> and snippets you want to throw in there from Ooh. random films? Uh, no. no, no, I don't think so. No, no. no not right. I'm not a performing monkey. <laughs> <laughs> I literally am. But, you know, let's sidestep. I'm that. not like Judy and executioner. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've worn me out. I've worn myself out. I'm mentally frazzled. Because I thought it was bad enough when they were trying to play with people's minds, like from afar, like with yeah. tones and and kind of like part of this as well, mind control. Yep. But to actually just start digging around in there yeah, and the, poking and prodding and zapping. Oh, literally, yeah, uh, literally with the patient's skull open, yeah. with them conscious, chatting away, talking to you about what they feel when you poke them in certain places. I did like the thing, or was kind of really surprised by the thing that every single memory is still in there. That's what it said. It was I always can't told confirm that, that, but that yeah. I suppose it's more the ones that you can recount, isn't it? Because they sort of say that you've only got room for a certain amount of like a certain amount of memory and you replace things. But then I think that that's the ones yeah, that you I, can I, recollect. Honestly, I don't know enough about Your memory's so terrible, science. love. You're, you've got, I, you've I, maybe got, I do know it then, and I've just forgotten. You've just forgotten. <laughs> oh, it's just in there. You just can't it's in recall there somewhere. it. So we need, we need to hypnotise you. Well, you just need to find the right point in my skull, drill it open and give no. me a zap. Oh, God. Blah, blah. And then I'll be like, there was oh, that, thing. that was it. Wasn't it, it was back this? in the medieval times where they used to drill into the skull and put a candle? Uh, I don't know about a candle, but sure. you're thinking of trepanning or trefining, which was pre i think that was more iron age or maybe even earlier i don't know stone age iron age somewhere around there that they used to drill holes in their skulls to let out evil spirits that they thought caused things like headaches yeah but i'm sure i saw a thing where they they actually they drilled the hole the side they, they would put a candle in it and light the candle maybe that was just to by the oh, time no. it got down to the bottom the evil spirit was gone and you were probably dead from some form of infection. It, well, actually, maybe it was to kind of counteract it. infection. It was to seal the hole. Maybe. And the wax melting over it but. could then be kind of shaved down to a fine thing. But they, no, they found skulls that have been trepanned mm. where the bone has started to grow back over. So people definitely survived it. 
it was done yeah. as a procedure that people were meant to live through, which is inter- that's horrific. Just thinking about that and the bones regrowing over. Well, that was beautiful, love. I think they've got progressively worse. The Philadelphia experiment was just like, what the crap? How are you yeah, serious? It was, it was like insane. It was insane. What the fuck? And, and then, then the Montauk project ramped up the insanity. Yeah. And then this just point. went and real dark real quick. Just crashed down to earth. Yeah. It literally just took us all the way up there into this crazy world and then just went, and if you think that's crazy, the roller coaster is just over the top and... Yeah, straight back down drop. into the hole in the ground. Yeah, Thank no, you for that, love. I feel welcome. awful now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we'll get on with the other stuff, stuff we need to do. So, do we have any new reviews or thank yous this week? No. Yes, we do. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and this week we have two thank yous to shout out. They are our two newest Patreon subscribers, Maddie, Maddie and, and Suze. Thank you very much, ladies. Thank you. We love you lots and we're very grateful. So, on to the bump. If you have a strange story for us, or I thought a strange fact or fun fact that you might like us to read out, yep. you can email us. Storiesofstrangeness at gmail.com. If you would like to join us on Facebook, we have a group and a page. Facebook.com slash Stories of Strangeness is the group and the join... No, that's the page and the join group button is just there. You can follow us on Instagram, if you like. At Stories of Strangeness. Twitter. Twitter is at So Strange Pod. And you can find all of those details on our website. Storiesofstrangeness.com. Um, On there, you will find all of the stuff we just uh, spoke about. You can also find links to our other episodes. For each episode, we do a little illustration and we upload that onto Redbubble. And that means that you can have it on pretty much anything that Redbubble sells. Stickers, cups, socks, blankets, pillows. You know, you get the idea. And to find us on Redbubble, you just need to search Zoe and Mike, all one word. And uh, yeah, there's some random bits and bobs on there. Go have a look. If you think we need help, which many of you now think we do, for which we are, as I said, truly grateful, you can support us on Patreon. The link again is on the website. And in the show notes. With Patreon, we have two tiers at the moment. The first tier is just... A pound a month. A pound a month, and that is a little thank you, helps us tick over. And the second tier is... Three pounds a month. And for £3 a month, what do you get? You get minisodes, you get outtakes, you get time-lapse videos, you get our absolute admiration and appreciation. And undying love. Absolutely. So, fun fact this week. America's first female mayor. Hmm. In 1887, a group of men added a woman to the majoral ballot box as a joke aimed at humiliating the woman. But it backfired, and she won with 60% of the votes. Uh, That lady was Susanna Medora Salter, nee Kingsey, and she was actually the daughter of someone who was in office, I believe. Right, okay. And she was quite kind of out there and quite outspoken for women's rights and such, so these guys thought, (laughs) ha, ha, ha. Uh, we'll Let's make her, her look up. stupid. Talk about your all-time backfires. Yeah, but also apparently no one knew that she was a candidate until the day because apparently you didn't actually have to make it public until election day. Right, okay, so they hid it from her. So they hid it from her, didn't tell her they'd put her in. Yeah. Put her in. With 60% She won with vote. 60% of the votes and Just that was in 1887. That's, that's amazing yeah. considering there were like, you know, there was more than one other person. Yeah. That she was going up against. And she was born in 1860, so she was only 27. Yeah. And she actually lived to be 101 years old. Wow. Which, if you think, if she was born in 1860, yeah, she died in 1961. Wow. Isn't that mad what she would have seen? Yeah, incredible. But also being the first female Female mayor in America. I was just like... Wow, what a woman. Apparently she was quite a woman as well. But I loved that. Yeah, that's cool. And I was like, up yours, men. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's it. Sock it to them. Whoop whoop. <laughs> be, yeah, that's it. Yes, that was my little fun fact for for today. Fantastic. With that, I think it's time for us to go. Thanks for listening. Bog off. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Ta-ta. Thank mm-hmm. you.